Okay, I'm told that I can ad-lib this, but I'm going to go ahead and read it straight off here. So sports are back. Save 40%. There, there's, your, there's your lead in here on this. Uh, don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now to The Athletic and save. Get access to all The Athletic's exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Get unlimited access, actually to breaking news, in-depth stories, and expert analysis. You also get access, by the way, to my Baseball 100, where I wrote 100. I counted down the 100 greatest baseball players uh, ever in 100 days. You can you can go on there and, and, and get that uh, as well. Uh, all you got to do is subscribe now and save. Sign up now uh, for yourself. If you go to theathletic.com slash podcast, theathletic.com, slash P-O-S-C-A-S-T, you receive 40% off an annual subscription. There's the save 40%. Sports are back and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams or any of the great uh, profile features, stories. I, I wrote a Baseball 100. You can, you, can, you can see it. You can hear it. Go to theathletic.com slash podcast for 40% off an annual subscription. Hope to see you there. I am Joe Posnanski, and uh, I'm excited today. I'm really excited. This is this is so great because uh, one, we have a, an old friend uh, of mine who is uh, who is our special guest on the podcast, which is which is wonderful. Uh, but also uh, a guy I believe is is you know, if I was making a list of the people who make sports fun. Uh, this guy's right at the top of my list. So uh, welcome, Kevin. Kevin Harlan's with us. Kevin, welcome. Joe, it is so great to be on with you. We've, we've done this before many years ago, but uh, I, think, uh, I think you know the respect I have for you and your place in this business. So when, uh, when uh, your producer, Marissa, called and said uh, that you'd like me on again, I was honored. And like I just told you, I've cleared the deck. I'm I can talk for as long as you want, but thank you so much for asking, and it's great to uh, uh, to to hear your, your voice. Well, no, it's great to hear your voice, Kevin, and and uh, you know we're in we're in strange times, so we we've got a lot to talk about. You are actually let's let's set the scene a little bit. You are in the bubble, is that right? That is that is where you are you are calling us from inside the NBA bubble. I am here. I got here last weekend, did my quarantine with the test, Joe, and all the things, the different mechanics that are involved with that. I'm actually in a hotel with most of the media that is not in the super, super elite level of quarantine <laughs> that can be with the players and the coaches and the executives of the teams that are here. So there is there are three levels. Um, the sideline reporters, uh, the usual suspects, are are in the the upper level where they can have contact and interview coaches and and be kind of face to face. The level that we're in with the uh, announcers from ESPN, our Turner Broadcaster uh, family, 
and uh, all the riders that have descended upon Orlando are in our hotel. Every room in this hotel is filled. Wow. And uh, we've had uh, actually some very nice moments where we're getting on an elevator, getting off, coming in, going out, whatever, and run into uh, some familiar faces and people that we normally don't see. So it, it kind of is like, and you've covered so many of these Final Fours, World Series, Super Bowls. It, it's kind of like that setting, to be quite honest. It's like the entire NBA family has descended here. All the writers that we read and enjoy, the broadcasters that we watch and listen to, are all here in this hotel and in the bubble. So while we're quarantined to a degree, uh, we do have some flexibility. For instance, tonight, I'm going to go have dinner with Mike Breen and Ian Eagle that are here broadcasting. Nice. So, And we never get a chance, the three of us, to be in the same city at one time. So it's little moments like that that we're really kind of savoring and looking forward to. That's really cool. That's really cool. You know, I remember – now, I, I don't remember if you were there. Were you in Beijing for, for, for the Olympics in, in 2008? I was not, no. I, we okay. take our summers off, so I was not there. Okay, so in Beijing, they didn't call it a bubble, but they put you inside essentially this circle where you were never out of their sight, essentially. Um, and the idea, of course, for that was was pure security. So, so once you were inside this little circle and, and the hotel was inside the circle, the buses were all inside the circle, everything that you were in. So you never went through like, um, you know, metal detectors or anything like that because you never left this, this bubble is that sort of how I'm envisioning this is that, that basically you're always sort of inside this NBA loop, but, but tell us a little bit about what it's like, like, like what is your day like inside the bubble? Well, you're, you're correct. We are kind of, um, roped into a degree. Uh, I have though, uh, come upon the fact that that the Turner folks have a different set of of borders they can and cannot cross than the ESPN people. <laughs> of course, this being a Disney property, um, ESPN has been a little bit more lenient on where their people can go. Um, uh, AT&T, which owns uh, Warner Media, Turner Broadcasting, uh, they've got their own set of guidelines and rules that we've got to follow. So we are a little bit more um, under the microscope, I think, than the ESPN folks are. Um, whether that loosens up and whether we get a, a familiarity with the different guidelines that we've all got to face and follow will be kind of an interesting part of this excursion. Um, but we are all uh, basically in an area that we cannot leave. And if we do leave, we need to re-quarantine and get tested. Turner wow. has requested that we get tested on Tuesdays and Fridays. I'm not sure what the ESPN folks have got to deal with. And then all the writers that are here and other broadcasters that are in this hotel, I'm sure have their own set of company rules that they've got to follow. I mean, every company has kind of developed these on the fly. And, sure. and so we're, we're following what we got to follow. But I, it's not like, you know, like all of us, we're wearing the mask and we're trying to keep our distance. And the buses back and forth from here to the arena are, are uh, positioned in a way that you're not sitting next to someone and right. we're a couple rows between the people that are riding. But it's very much like covering Final Four practices, uh, mm -hmm. Super Bowl press conferences. 
You get on a bus, you go about five, 10 miles away. They drop you off at the arena. You go through security, you go through, uh, you know, some, some type of quarantine uh, barrier that, that they make sure that you've been tested and you are negative. Right. So it's the stuff that, that makes sense uh, logistically and logically. So we're, we're all kind of coping with it. And my typical day, really, I got here Saturday night. Um, I, I've just been getting, I've got to do a, a approximately 13 games in three weeks. I've got two doubleheader days. I've got very few days off between games. So knowing the teams, Joe, that I am going to broadcast, I've just been kind of updating my spotting boards, my information boards that I use in the broadcast uh, to get up to date with how the teams finish the first part of the season and how they enter here this restart of the season. Yeah, yeah. So double headers, uh, do you like doing those? That, that's, that's a lot. That's four teams to, to know everything you need to know. Uh, th- that's a lot of work, it feels like to me. But knowing you, I imagine you probably get a kick out of it. Well, we do, you know, the, do, do the tournament for, for CBS course. and Turner. So, so this is actually something that we're quite used to. We do four games, eight teams in one day in the first round of the tournament, and then do two games with the four teams in the second round. Sure. Um, so we're, we're kind of used to that. We didn't have a tournament this year. So I guess this is, you know, quote unquote, our, our, our replacement for that kind <laughs> of uh, uh term of, of all these teams descending in a lot in a very short package. So uh, I'm kind of used to that. And I've kind of gone uh, through the different rotation of how to prepare. And, and really, you just hope to have the, the headlines for the teams and the players and not get too burdened with getting all the different little details that each team is going through and how they're preparing but you want to have just a firm grasp, as you well know, on the stories as you try to take on something with this kind of volume. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to want to talk to you a little bit about the NBA and, and what we can sort of expect out of the season. Let's go into a little specifics. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about, about you. We've, we've, been, we've been friends for a long time, and so I know, uh, I know your passion for the game. So uh, first of all, what have these months been like for you with no sports. I mean, you did miss the tournament this year. First time. Boy, when was the last time you didn't, you didn't call an NCAA oh my tournament? Gosh, back when Larry Brown was coaching Kansas. <laughs> I mean, it was back in the eighties is the last time I haven't done a tournament. So yeah, it was very weird. That had to be very weird. So what has this been like for you? I mean, it's, it's, we all know, you know, what it's like for us from a family standpoint and a personal standpoint, but for you, especially it's so clear how much energy uh, you get out of your job and and calling these games and being around sports uh, and and it, it just comes through in the way you do your job. As have you been down? Like, what has it been like these last few months? You know, I've done a lot of interviews with with things like this and and the companies I work for, CBS and Turner. Uh, I've been very communicative, and that that has kind of been the nice lifeline that they've thrown all of us that live around the country. We've had most of our family with us since the middle of March, and that has been, quite honestly, a blessing. It's been yeah. so fun to be around them so much. We've got a new grandchild that's a year and a half old, and awesome. uh, our daughter lives in Kansas City. That's where we're based. So we had a lot of our family with us. We have uh, four kids, uh, two that are married, two that are single, and uh, all parts of the country, Denver and New York and every place in between. So we've been uh, we've been really blessed with having – everybody around. And, and, and Joe, quite frankly, 
when this hit, and I was on my way to go do the Bucks and the Boston Celtics in Milwaukee and was at O'Hare when uh, Woj dropped one of his bombs about <laughs> the league being suspended. And um, so I turned around at O'Hare and didn't get on my Milwaukee flight, went back and got on my Kansas City flight, got back that night. So I just turned around, and that was the last time I flew, uh, which was March 11th, until I flew down here on July 25th. Wow. So, but, but quite frankly, after the tournament and then some NBA playoff action, I'm off for a couple of months. So it really did not change that much for me. It's been huh. the re-entry, which Joe has been a little bit more um, uh, difficult because not only am I getting ready for this, but I'm getting ready for a, for an NFL season. Yeah, that's so, right. So both seasons are colliding with their start kind of at the same time. Normally, the NFL would start. I'd have a couple of months to kind of get my footing there. Then the NBA would start, which – was great because I could kind of ramp up to that easily as I was getting used to my NFL schedule. And then my prep begins with the NBA. And that was always kind of a nice little segue into the two seasons overlapping. And then college basketball starts in December. And so that was the third element. And then I could kind of ramp easily and naturally into the start of college basketball. So, um, but this has kind of been an avalanche of information all at once which I welcome and I'm, I'm glad for certainly because this is my profession, but um, I'm actually kind of sad to see um, uh, this, this part of my schedule of being at home uh, slip away. Uh, my wife took me to the airport in Kansas city and we've been married for 33 years and uh, she's had me uh, around the house more <laughs> than she can recall. And, and she said to me about month three goes, you know, I never really realized how much you talk. You talk a lot. You let's 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 use our indoor voices here for a minute, and and just kind of let the moment just kind of uh, you speak for itself. But we were actually in tears as we were saying goodbye uh, at the Kansas City airport on on Saturday afternoon, uh, saying goodbye because I'm down here for three weeks and we've never been apart for more than a week ever, ever. Wow. So this is a this is a very strange moment in terms of being so much together for all that time and now being apart for three weeks and never being apart for more than, than seven days. So, so it's got its own uh, little personal um, ramifications. But, you know, professionally during that time, I went back and, and watched a lot of my games, football and basketball. I, I, I reviewed and graded my work as I usually do anyway, but just had a little bit more time to really think about, you know, what I was doing, how I was doing it, how I can get better, challenging myself to – you know, make this uh, really a nice sprint here as I, as I get out of the blocks. Well, you know, I mean, it's one of the things that, that I really, you know, so admire about you. And, and one of those things that you and I have talked about, because I think it's, it's, we, we both sort of go at it in similar ways in, in that we are, uh, we're pretty harsh self judges, right? I mean, we're, that's part of, that's part of, you know, when you're trying to, you're always trying to improve and you're always trying to get better uh, and, you know, of course you can, people give you notes and, and, you know, for, for me, editors certainly are, are a huge help, but so much of that is when you look at your own work and you, and you are as honest as you can be, and you've been doing that. I mean, this is, this has been your, your lifelong dream, right? I mean, this is when you were young, this is what you wanted to do, right? Yes. No, I, I knew when I was about 10 or 11, my dad was in sports. And so I was incredibly lucky that 
I had a chance to kind of look behind the curtain, so to speak. I had a chance to be in locker rooms and clubhouses. My dad was with the baseball Cardinals when I was five, six, seven, eight years old. So I go to sure. spring training with him and I go to Bush Stadium on Sunday afternoons with him uh, for Cardinal baseball games. He went to Green Bay in 1971 and joined their front office. And so I was a ball boy for the Packers for over 10 years. And then I would spot for visiting networks and broadcasters on Packers Sundays at Lambeau Field and was in the press box and saw the big time writers and the big time broadcasters and knew that that really was what I wanted to do. And, and, and I think that that, that was such a, a motivating factor for me to know how lucky I was kind of born into this business, how lucky I've been to have that, that particular um, situation in life and I didn't want to, I didn't want to fumble it. I, did, I didn't want to mess it up. Um, so my dad was my first mentor, continues to be my mentor to this day. And, and while he may not give a lot of opinion on my work early on as a broadcaster, it was um, terrific and so helpful. Uh, but, but even more important was, was watching him operate in press boxes with owners, with ball players uh, in both baseball and football how he treated people, yeah. um, and, and, and that served as a lifelong lesson for me, and I've, I've tried to embrace that. So I've, I've loved this business, and I, I don't know what else I could do. I wanted to be an airline pilot when I was a young <laughs> kid and, and, and would actually go out to the Green Bay Airport on my bike and sit underneath the landing path of jets, few as they were, into the Green Bay Airport, and that's what I dreamt. And then one day I brought home a report card and my dad looked at my report card and looked at me and looked at my math grade in particular because he knew that <laughs> pilots needed a lot of aeronautical engineering and, and math uh, geometry excellence and looked at my math grade and looked at me and looked again at that grade and looked at me and goes, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I think I might look at journalism and maybe even <laughs> broadcasting. So that was kind of a clear sign that I was not to be a pilot and truly my destiny was to be in broadcasting and I've not regretted it ever since. <laughs> no, no, and and it's so much, it's so much fun. And and I think, look, I, I I don't know how how this works when you're in the booth itself because obviously, so much of it is is uh, the work you do leading into the into you know any game you know the all the prep work that you do which is a lot, all the review work that you do uh, in order to in order to build uh you know the, the the style and everything else that you've done but what what i love is like there are moments of the game that take you to a, a different place and obviously you've become you know quite famous for these moments the, the lamar jackson run and and the way you called that or 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 you know various other moments in time so t tell me what that is because i mean it feels to me like it's pure enthusiasm for what you do well, I, I appreciate you saying that, and it is pure in every sense. I, I, I equate it to um, making sure that every play that I broadcast has the same kind of focus and, and at least the beginning energy uh, that something may happen, the anticipation, the urgency that something may happen. And, and so when those moments do occur, you're ready and not caught off guard. It, it's like... Um, uh, one of my favorite stories, and Greg Popovich tells this, the coach of the Spurs, sure. and he has it in a framed picture outside his locker room. He says that, that success is measured in many different ways. Take the stonecutter in a small Russian village 
who every day has a chisel, has the hammer, and has the, the, the duty to break in half a big rock. And every day he pounds and the rock does not break. And every day he pounds at it, pound after pound, hammer after hammer. And then finally, on the 500th whack of that hammer on that chisel against that rock, it finally breaks in half. And the people stand there and go, oh my goodness, you must have had such strength in that 500th whack at that rock and that chisel. <laughs> and the guy says, no, it wasn't the 500th, but it was the 499 right. hits of the hammer on the chisel onto the rock that broke it free. It wasn't one, it was the 499 before it that made that one possible. So I, I, I say that to, to students that ask about these calls, I say, it's because I'm always at the edge of my seat and focused and ready for anything. And I may have a hundred plays that mean nothing, but on that 101st, on Mahomes' run where he breaks a tackle and spins down a sideline and pirouettes and gets away and cuts back inside and dives to the five and the ball crosses that goal line, because I have described all those plays before it with the same kind of intensity and same kind of focus, it makes that play, because it was the play of the game, stand out. Uh, be, but I, I equate it to always being present, always being uh, with that particular down and distance or that jump shot to make sure that, that, that I am ready. And I'll do a disservice to my listeners or the viewers if I don't, and to the people that are on our broadcast that, that help sell it, that help produce it, that help engineer it. And, and so I want to make sure that I'm at the top of my game. And, and the more I can condition myself to call every play that this may be the play, uh, but never, you know, break that. If, if it's not, don't break that, that barrier. Um, that prepares me for that play that when it does happen, I'm ready to go. And I'm glad you, you recognize it because I respect you as much as anybody in this business that, that when you have that magic line that you write in one of your stories, that it's not because you've been thinking of that line or it, it comes by the, by the process of you writing a story and all the stories before it that make that line in your great story stand out and memorable. Well, it's, it is the same. I mean, it's, it's obviously different in, in, in various sort of technical ways, but you're right. And, and, and I do the same thing. Whenever I speak to a class, I always tell them that, you know, the dream your dream might be to, to write, uh, you know, or, or broadcast a Super Bowl, right? That might be your dream. But what the reality is, is if you can go to a high school football game uh, or a little league baseball game and write something memorable there, tell a memorable story from there, that's what's going to tell you. That's where, that's, that's when you're going to know that you're ready is when you can do it every single day, no matter what, uh, you know, what game you're at, no matter how it works. And, and you're right. But I, but I do think it's, it's, it's particularly special and wonderful with you in the sense of you, you, you always bring that enthusiasm. I mean, it's, it's, it's very clear and, and, and it's, it's there, but then a black cat runs on the field and it, and it just, and it just gives you an opportunity to, to be, you know, to, to do exactly what you do, but it, it, it comes across in such a different way because it's so unique and fun and, and suddenly you go viral and, and all of that. And, and I know those things are meaningful to you in the sense of that it's, it's, you know, that it's, 
it was it was the first 499 times it made uh, that possible, you know? But it comes with a little bit of trepidation and like, uh-oh, what did I just do? <laughs> you know, there's, there's some of those moments, whether it's a drunk guy on the field uh, in San Francisco, Santa Clara, right, um, or, or uh, when I kind of went rogue late in the NFL season when the Chiefs were trying to secure the number two seed and the Patriots were playing the Dolphins at the same time, and I was calling – both, Both games. games. Oh my gosh. See, that that is right against CBS protocol because what we're supposed to do, what they tell us to do, what we're conditioned to do is to call our game and say, all right, now with an update from New York, let's go to James Brown and Boomer Esiason for this update, you know, and then we'll go to them and then they'll update us on Fitzpatrick's touchdown pass, which gives Miami a heavy underdog against the New England team in Foxborough, the lead with a half minute to play. And, and, but what I did is I called the play-by-play -play of the game in Foxborough at the same time I was calling the play-by-play -play of the Chiefs and Chargers at Arrowhead in Kansas City on that final weekend. And they were happening at the same time, at the right? exact same time. And so it worked out well. Um, but I, I will tell you that I looked at my partner, Rich Gannon, and took off my headset and I go, uh-oh, I hope. Uh, and, and, and this goes back, by the way, to when I was at ESPN in the early 90s and a, and a rabbit ran onto the field in a game between Michigan and Purdue on Halloween. And the rabbit ran down the middle of the field. Play was stopped because the players and the officials were watching this rabbit. And I called it, and I had just joined ESPN, and I called it as if he was a, 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 a player running for the touchdown. And the rabbit's at the 20. Now he cuts. He's at the 15. Running to the, you know, into the end zone for it, you know. And I thought, uh-oh, I've just joined ESPN. What are they going to think of this? So, you know, knock on wood, as I'm doing literally as I speak to you, um, they've all taken it in the right way. There is that, that precipice that I guess, um, I, I don't know if, if I've got it or if I'm just, you know, playing with fire here. But I, I, I know that I've, I, I come back a lot of times. My wife in particular will say, um, do you want to explain what you just did or, or you know, and, and so I've, I've got to be careful, but I hope that people will take it in the manner that I think, for instance, you are, and that I am having fun. It's a moment that is kind of happening in the game. It, it's thread uh, throughout the game. And, and so I approach it that way, but, but I, I feel like I've got that governor on me that will say, okay, uh, dude, uh, hit the brakes, stop right there, uh, don't go any further. I, I would like to think I've got that, that governor in my head that will tell me to shut up. Well, sure, you, well, but I mean, but you're following your instincts, and I think that's a big part of the, you know, you, you talk about the rock, you know, hitting the rock 499 times. You develop these instincts. I remember very early in my, in my column writing career, and I was working at the Cincinnati Post at the time, and there was a game between, I think it was Xavier, but it was like a preseason game. So they were playing like one of those, you know, put together teams that, 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 that they, you know, I can't, you know, they're usually, there might be religious based or something like that, but they're just like one of those, one of those put together teams and, and they were playing and, you know, it was, it was fine. It was a preseason game. It wasn't particularly interesting or meaningful. There wasn't particularly a story. And then, at one point in the game, one of the players on the other team uh, like made a layup and he kind of like got pushed into 
the cheerleader section, as, as we'll see. Um, and, and he kind of started getting out. But instead of going, he asked out one of the cheerleaders. Like he, he literally just kind of stood there and asked out one of the cheerleaders. And, and I remember as a columnist, and of course, sort of the same thing like as you when you were, you know, starting at, at ESPN, I don't know where the limits are. Like, can I, I mean, I'm here to write about this game, right? But to me, there was nothing in the game that was, I mean, it was fine. And I'm sure I could have written a perfectly, perfectly meaningful column, I guess, uh, about it. But I decided to go interview the cheerleader and and the guy and ask about like this sort of crazy moment in the middle of this game and wrote it. And it turned out, it you know, you get lucky. I mean, it turned out to be a, a great column in in the sense of of the the response that it got. Uh, people just thought it was hilarious and funny. And she she got a huge kick out of it. The cheerleader did. Like she thought it was one of the funniest things. You know, that's part of what made me, you know, and that's what I mean by following your instincts is yeah. I'm watching her laughing. And that's <laughs> why I know how fun this this goofy thing is. But I but I do feel like following your instincts. Like for you, you're you're really in, in more than I am as a writer. You're on a tightrope in that you have whatever you say is is what's going out to people. There's no possibility for an editor to stop you. There's nothing uh, you know, you're you're really on the tightrope. So I gotta believe that you following your instincts is a huge part of what you do. Well, I think, yeah, that's gotta be, I think that's gotta be your compass. I, I don't know um that I'm doing it by the book, certainly. Um, this is not what I expected to be. I mean, I my 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 hope, my dream was always to be at this level. Yeah. And and I'm I'm living my dream every time I put on that headset. I never want to um, make that, put that on a tightrope, as you say. Uh, I do think we're kind of in an age where it's not as formal as it was back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, True. where you can have a little fun. But I think our society now, um, with what has happened in social justice over the last you know, three, four months and where we stand as a country and where we're all kind of revisiting our own personal values and all the things that are going on, whether it's uh, you know, I mean, all of it. it there's so much um, that needs addressing. Um, you never want to offend anybody. And I guess that's my, my biggest thing. You know, when I, when I grew up, I was, what, 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 like you probably, you probably as a kid read uh, uh, columnists and, and people and SI or, or, or you know, or, or whatever. And say, that's what I want to be like. I want to be a writer like Curry Kirkpatrick or Frank DeFord or whoever it might have been. I mean, there's, there, there are so many of them and, and great ones, just great ones. And, and writers now that are the Frank DeFords of today, like yourself, you know, um, they probably write differently than, the, you know, people back at that time, Red Smith sure. and, and all the legendary writers that we've all grown up respecting. Well, in broadcasting, you know, the, uh, I, I, I was attracted to these, broadcasters that were, were pretty down the middle. So this makes it a little bit of un, uncomfortable territory for me, perhaps, that, that these come up every once in a while. One happened just last night, in fact, and I, and I, I didn't even really, I, it's, I, I got to think more before I talk. I know that, <laughs> uh, you know, when I, we were on there talking about uh, Reggie Miller was talking, we did a quick hit with our studio and down here from the bubble and, and we weren't broadcasting the game, but we were at the game and and we were, he was talking about the L.A. Clippers and was talking about 
about Lou Williams and how they're going to be without Lou Williams for the first couple games. And, and, you know, and that got my mind thinking, and I should have thought even more before I say, I said, well, you know what I'd like to get, I'd, I'd like to see if we get someone in Atlanta to get some chicken wings sent down to Orlando. I, 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 we need to restart this thing with some wings. And I, hopefully people are familiar with the Lou Williams story. I'm assuming they are, but, but, but anyway, you know, when you, when you, when you talk like that, I, I think you've, you've got to eh, just, you know, make sure you don't, you don't, you know, get into some troubling waters. And, and so, um, but anyway, I, 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 I'm not the broadcaster nor the voice that I thought I would have when I got in the business. Cause when I, when I got in the business, I listened to John Facenda, the voice of NFL films. Of course. Uh, there was a broadcaster uh, named Jim Simpson at, at uh, oh, yeah. NBC and later ESPN, Chuck Thompson, Ray Scott, Pat Summerall. You know, those are the voices I kind of grew up with. And I still, I hear them in my head. I hear those voices in my head all the time. Uh, but I don't hear them saying <laughs> what I might say about whatever I'm seeing sometimes. And that, that's what I have a conflict with. Well, but I think it's it is different. I mean, I think that's such a an interesting and fun point. I you know Frank DeFord was my was my idol. Well, was my he? I just I just picked it out, but I yeah yeah. I, I mean, he know, was he was everybody's. I think you have you know Joe, you have so much of so many of the great writers. I can tell that. I mean, it's a science for you. That's probably a whole other topic, but 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 I, I I can tell that that you probably read a lot of him, and I. I can see it in your writing I, I feel that when I when I read you well thank you yeah I I have I have tried to read everybody all of the all of the greats and and goods of the of the past and and uh you know that's I I did treat it uh, somewhat like a science but for but Frank DeFord for me was the one that I read and I can remember I've I've, I've told this story before uh it was the 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 uh Boxer and the Blonde is the is the uh, piece that he wrote um, and, and I remember in the middle of reading it and I, I didn't read it in the magazine. I read it in his book, um, the world's tallest midget, which is what that, that, that wouldn't play today, by the way. Um, but right. that was, that was the name of the book. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, that, that such a beautiful, uh, piece about Billy Kahn and the, the, the boxer who, who almost beat Joe Lewis. And, and it's, it's, there's this beautiful scene in the middle there of of him having you know leading joe lewis and it going into the final rounds and and i can remember so vividly like having to close the book and and like close my eyes and think that's what i want to do like i like it was like a it was like a specific like section that i thought that's the kind of writer I want to be. That's the kind of sports writer I want to be, but I'm not that kind of, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I, I, you know, I, I love what I do, but Frank DeFord wouldn't blog like, like Frank DeFord wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> go off these crazy tangents that I do. Frank DeFord wouldn't have written a, you know, the, the hundred greatest baseball players in history in a hundred days. Like you wouldn't have done any of these goofy things that I do. Um, but I brought what, you know, I still believe in some way that I'm carrying on his name. And I think the same of you. I, I love uh, Summerall. Like Summerall, and you talk about Ray Scott and those guys, all those guys. But Summerall, for me, and I can hear Summerall in my mind. And I think of Summerall's perfect call is basically Montana, Rice, touchdown, right? That's right. like, it's so, it's so, you know, and then he let he let Madden do all the talking, right? But it was so 
point. And that's not you. Like you wouldn't, that's not how you do it. But I bet that is strange for you in the sense of that these were the guys who were, who very much were uh, sparse in their, in, in the way they called things. Uh, not necessarily descriptive in the way that you are. It's just different. But I wonder if that's just because we're in a different time and different requirements uh, uh, for the job. I think people want something different, don't you think? I, I, absolutely. I, I, I think, I think, I don't know how that would play now. Of course, I think Summerall and Scott were timeless and course, that, that type of broadcasting would, would work and fit in any era. Uh, but it is a different world now that we're in where statistics and analytics and, and, you know, replay and graphics and all this stuff is going on. Um, so, you know, like Michaels talks about, Al Michaels talks about listening uh, to Vin Scully. And there's a lot of Scully in Michaels, but, but Michaels is a different broadcaster than Scully. Sure, sure. And, and um, so I, I, think what, I think what it is, is you, you, want, you want kind of a guiding figure in your, when, when you do something as public as this and as, as, as out there as this is, you, you kind of like, I think every hitter would say, yeah, I grew up watching George Brett or every, every quarterback, you know, growing up, yeah, I watched Tom Brady or Montana or, or Rogers or whoever. I think there's always that somebody in your mind um, and in your mind's eye, maybe even more important that you emulate, you want to be like, you strive to take the qualities that they have. And I think as you get older, you evolve maybe a little bit more and more and more into that kind of person or how you frame that person in your mind. So, so I think of these voices and I hear these voices and, and like Facenda, I have a, a recording on my phone that I play before I leave on, on Sunday mornings when I'm doing an NFL game for CBS that I play, that I taped on my phone on that voice memo app and, and it's Facenda um, reading that Raider, uh, oh, the, the, the autumn wind is a race, yes. right? Yes. And so I play that on my phone literally as I am looking around the room, making sure I haven't forgotten anything, grabbing a handle of my suitcase, turning around and opening the door. But I play that uh, little bit. It's a minute or whatever it is. And I listen to that. And, and it does a couple things for me. It, it brings it back to when I first knew about broadcasting, because that was the first voice that I remember. It, it brings me about the tradition and the majesty of the NFL, which I it's been in our family for four or five decades. So, sure. so it has a special place personally. But just what, what that voice means and how it kind of sets the tone, I think, all the time for, for me and maybe even other broadcasters. So, but, so I think while the Ford for you and Facenda and Summerall and Chuck Thompson for me is that voice or that, that, that written word that we strive to have and serves as a compass, um, it, it, we're our own, we got off, it may serve as a roadmap, but we got off on a different exit. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of how I think of it. No, that's great. That's great. All right, time for a, a little uh, dugout mugs talk. I, I usually have uh, like a little uh, foil. I have usually an Ellen Adair or Michael Shore to talk about this. I'm on my, on my own for this one. So did you know that a company started in a college baseball dugout became dugout mugs where they turned the barrel of a baseball bat into a 12-ounce mug? Very exciting. It's licensed by the MLB, uh, I guess by MLB in general, 
the MLB. That's what they called it on Twitter the other day, the MLB. It's actually just MLB. It's not the Major League Baseball. Anyway, your favorite team is laser engraved onto a birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. Perfect for the big game to put on display or, as we have said before, to be the life of the party. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and use the promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. All right, I want to talk NBA before I do. I do have to mention, uh, because of course I sent you uh, a text right after you did it. So you had your your famous, uh, now famous, uh, Lamar Jackson call on that extraordinary run that he had against the Bengals. And of course, in the middle of that run, uh, you called him Houdini. And, and this was uh, just days, I believe, after my book on Houdini had come out. Uh, so, so I remember sending you a, uh, and of course, I, I believe I've sent you the, the book itself. Um, but, you know, take, take us through that run. I mean, you talk about, you know, all of the calls you've made through the years and how you, you know, you have to be ready for when something like that happens. But something like that happens, you have to also be able to rise to an extraordinary moment. I mean, that's as good a run as you could possibly make. Well, it was something you don't see and the spin move oh. uh, to be, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, when I was a ball boy for the Packers uh, and I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, however, in that area, um, there was a running back for the Minnesota Vikings named Chuck Foreman. Sure. And Chuck Foreman, one of the great things he did was that quick corkscrew move. He would mm-hmm. spin off an oncoming tackler <laughs> and dodge him and get free. And uh, to be honest, when, um, when I was watching Jackson, who, by the way, was wearing you know, parts of, of a purple uniform that the Vikings wear <laughs> uh, and has the lankiness of Chuck Foreman, uh, that was the first thing that popped in my mind but I thought, you know what? Our audience will not remember Chuck Foreman. Yeah, not yeah. that I could think that quickly, but I know there was that, that, that brush with that thought. And then the Houdini line, I just, you know, uh, it's so funny. That you, they, and I did not know you were working on that book. And then you did get a hold of me. And by the way, what, what a fascinating topic. What a, what a marvelous read. Thank and, you. And, and by the way, I did not, <laughs> I did not receive your copy. I went out and bought one when I didn't get oh. it. And I think it got lost. And, and, I, and I, I know how that, that all goes, but I went out and bought it myself um, and, and thoroughly, passionately loved it. But then I know you and I can see you writing it and I know your enthusiasm for topics and interesting people. And so I knew because I know you, uh, it meant even more. So I loved, I loved, as I love all your work, all, books and, and regular writing. But, but when Jackson did that, um, the Houdini thing, just, it, it's kind of a fun name to say. Yes. And, and, and what was nice about that run, and, and this probably doesn't mean much to people that are not in the business of broadcasting, but a lot of broadcasting is rhythm and tempo and pacing. And that run had all of those elements which made the Houdini line come out so kind of easily because I was kind of in that rhythm. He gets the ball. Oh, look at him dodge. Oh, he spins. He broke his ankles. He's Houdini. You know, and down he went into the end zone with the blockers ahead and guys reveling in his run. And, and so um, there's nothing like 
getting in that gear as a broadcaster when you're when you're broadcasting um, and and having things flow when when I, I equate it which is kind of a weird thing but when a ball player says he can see the seams on a ball as it's being thrown to him right or a receiver in football says I could see the laces of the ball that's how sharp my focus was and that's how in slow motion the game was going there are times when we broadcast when it is it feels like it's in slow motion because you're in such a good rhythm and pacing and your tempo is right that that calls like that and because you've called the other 499 plays like that it just kind of came out so I, I i that was the reason why that seemed to just kind of flow out of my mouth because of because I, I felt in that particular moment I was in that rhythm and everything was so slow motion to me that you could have put anything in front of me and I feel like I could have could have called it probably pretty decently. Yeah, well, it's so interesting that that you should say that. I, you know, I've I've spoken. You know, we've talked about this. I've talked with Bob Costas about this. I've talked with Vin Scully about this. There's there's something that that again maybe the average person wouldn't necessarily think about but there's something about not only the greatness of plays but the rhythm of plays the timing of plays that that sometimes leads to great broadcasting i mean bob bob costas talks about how after the michael jordan uh shot against utah where he had his famous you know if this is the end you know what what a what a glorious end it is or exactly how he put it um, but he had the time to do it because of the way that there was the timeout was called and the way that the way that everything sort of worked out, he was sort of given the freedom to do that. Um, do you find that? I, I imagine like some incredible plays it's over almost before you have a chance to really explore it. And then you have plays like, like that Lamar Jackson play, which as you say, was like, there was so many wonderful parts of it that it probably was just like jazz, you know, just following the notes of, of, of that run. I, do you find that not only does it come down to the greatness of the play, but sort of the rhythm of the play? It does. And the rhythm buys you time to think. Mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of, that's kind of the, the key. Um, um, uh, one of the plays that, that gets a lot of uh, notoriety is the LeBron James dunk on Kevin Garnett and I came out with the line no regard for human life right when he did it now there's a lot to that story Doug Collins who is the best analyst I've ever worked with um, was my partner that night in Cleveland uh, this was an early LeBron James what 0809 whatever they're playing Boston and the defending um, defensive player of the year in Garnett and LeBron goes up and puts up this ferocious vicious <laughs> dunk vicious. that just yeah. is like mesmerizing to watch and it, I mean it was a great it was a great dunk but Doug Collins um and you know and, and on that play if you go back and listen you know he gets a screen there was a switch on defense he makes a move he gets a new defender like is it, it again the rhythm the rhythm of the thing was right there so it made it easy to call and then Doug when it happened took his leg, he, I, Doug sat to the right of me, I was to the left of Doug, he took his left arm, gave me a brace against my chest, and both of us were falling backwards in our chairs into the people in back of us, 
because I, I knew if Doug thought it was big, um, <laughs> then I had to treat it big. And so consequently, the line came out as he was bracing me and the dunk has been thrown down. Uh, LeBron James with no regard for human life. <laughs> but see, what, what is interesting about that is that that line was from a James Bond movie, Dr. No. Yes. And, and Sean Connery <laughs> is having dinner in the underwater lair of, of Dr. No. And Dr. No, as all these villains do, is explaining how he was going to rule the world and destroy the world at the same time, like giving all the, all the details about what he was going to do. And Bond uh, Connery in this moment says, ah, with no regard for human life or something to that. So to, to, to fast forward uh, with our son, when we would play Nerf football in his room um, and I would defend and he would like a little guy, like three, four years old, five years old, and he would come driving at me with that Nerf football and then try to dunk it over, you know, the, my head into the netting that was on the side of the door. Um, I, I, we would come up with like, oh, get that filthy thing out of here, or oh, no regard for human life. So for whatever reason, and to show you just how weird your neurons connect in your brain, that line came out against uh, with, with LeBron and that dunk over Garnett and that in that playoff game and people, you know, liked it. And uh, so it's just, you don't know where this stuff comes from or how, you know, when you get a thought for a story or a line or, or whatever, where that comes from. But I guess it's part of the experience of being in that seat with that headset on for me and, 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 and living those moments and being engaged. I, I don't know how you can do this, be in this business. And I know you, I know your vitality and your charisma and, and, and the kind of person you are and your, love of the business, love of the business. I love our business on my side of it, on the broadcast side. Sure. So I think that when you love it like that, your, your every emotion is locked into what's going on and what you're doing and how lucky you feel to be there. And in that moment and being present, I think is a big part of being a broadcaster. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's a big, it's a big part of life though, isn't it? I mean, a big part of every, to do anything well, no matter where you are, what, what it is that you do, whatever business you're in, boy, being present, just being there every day, every hour, just, just, just not, you know, not mailing anything in, just taking, taking every minute uh, as it comes in a, in a, in a real present way. I, I think that's kind of the secret to, to all success in a lot of ways. I would think so. Um, I, I, you, you and I are probably much alike in that. We're about the same age. We, we've uh, had a, a lot of luck and, and good fortune in this business. Oh, no we're doubt. In. And, and so I think we feel that. Um, but, uh, but that's kind of a learned thing because we're a society that is always looking for the next game or the next flight or the next right. meal or the next this, the next that, right. and not enjoying where you are. Um, we're first-time grandparents, as I had mentioned early. And there is nothing uh, that will bring you to that thought process of being present than watching a little grandchild. And if you've raised a family and you've got two wonderful, beautiful daughters that you're raising and, and, um, and, and I, we raised uh, four kids, they went to college and left the roost and now we're out working in the world and two are married. And so we've got, you know, and, and it's not like we missed anything when we were, busy building our careers and there for our families. I'd like to think uh, that we were both, we'd look back and our kids would say, 
you know, dad was there for all the important moments, even though our business takes us all over the country at weird times. And, and, and I, and my kids have told me that often. I'm sure yours have too. Dad, you're always here for the moments that mattered. And we may not have been able to celebrate my birthday on my birthday, but the next night or the day before, but we always celebrated it and you were always there. And so that, that always means a lot. And, and, but when you go around the, the horn again, so to speak, and you're now having grandchildren, and someday you will. Um, you are you are met with that thought of being present, and and I know that I look at my daughter and her husband, our son-in-law, and you know they're thinking about well, they got another baby due here in a couple months. Wow, uh, number two, but but they're thinking about okay, when we got to get him down and get the bottle, and 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 tomorrow he's got to go in for a, a, a shot, or he's got to go see the doctor, or he's going to go have a play date, or whatever the case is. I I, I say you know what slow down and enjoy him playing in the sand right now or playing with that popsicle sticker or enjoy enjoy this because I'm telling you in a blink of an eye and I've used that often with her that those moments are in a blink of an eye they go by so quickly and to enjoy the moment as it's unfolding and and they'll kind of laugh at me a little bit but I'm glad at least I've (laughs) I've learned to live in the moment not that not that I've not been present my whole life, but there are times we're all always looking, well, I've got to be at the Super Bowl in two weeks, so I can't do that. You know, you're always looking ahead in the calendar on your book and everything else. But um, but that would be the one thing I would tell young parents is that, and they know it, it those moments when they're doing silly stuff, it, it, it is, it's, a, it's the blink of an eye. It is. And you know, it's funny, when you are a new parent, uh, everybody tells you that, right? Everybody tells you, try as hard as you can to uh, to enjoy every moment that you can because it goes by so fast and you understand it when you're a young parent, but you don't really understand it until you become an older parent and your kids grow right. up and suddenly you go, wow, they, I know they said that and, and it sounded, it sounded right at the time, but boy, now, you know, now my, my daughter's going off to college and uh, wow, uh, where did the time go? You know, it just happens so fast. I, I, would, be, I would be remiss in, in, in doing this, and we are going to talk about the NBA here in a second, but I'd be remiss if I did not mention one of your children, of course, is, is Olivia, who, who uh, is a, uh, went into your business. I, I mean, you know, I know you're so proud of her. Uh, she's so great, but like, it, the relationship there, now that you guys are like the, the business to talk about, what is that like? What is that like as sort of, uh, I mean, you, you guys, uh, you critique each other's work a little bit? Like, how, how does this go as father and daughter? Well, it's, it's interesting, and you're so kind to bring her up. Thank you. We're, we are very proud of her. We're proud of all of our children. Of We're proud of her because she's in this, in this very difficult business. And um, actually, I talked to a lot of young women in broadcasting. Uh, in college and just out of school uh, about the business because of Olivia. They know she's in it and she has been, uh, you know, so kind to, to say how I've helped her along the way. But she she was born with, with the God-given talent that she has. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, I, I said to her, you know, I, before she was out of high school, I said to her, so, you know, I'll know how serious you are about this business when, you know, uh, I watch you on your own at college and how much time you put into it because this is a business, number one, you've got to love, but number two, 
you've got to spend a lot of time at it to get good. And, and I always use the 10,000 hour thing about mm -hmm. uh, it takes 10,000 hours to perfect something. Right. And I said, Livia, I'm on maybe my 40th thousand hour <laughs> and I am not even close to perfecting it. So that gives you a feel for what's ahead of you and how this is always an evolving business and how you always got to look at self-improvement. So she went to the University of Georgia, which is a terrific journalism school. Wonderful school. And, um, and got involved the moment she stepped on campus. She was on uh, the air, uh, editing, uh, writing, reporting, uh, doing all of it, carrying the equipment. And, and I said, that's all part of it. It's like a, the spoke of a wheel. I said, all those spokes represent the process of becoming full, a, a full circle, a full wheel. And you've got to do all those spokes. And that means carrying the equipment sometimes and editing a piece at two o'clock on a Friday night when all your buddies are at a party and having fun or doing whatever. And by God, she would call me and text me or take a picture of her late at night at every hour, all week long, all year long, uh, covering uh, equestrian, covering University of Georgia swimming, That's covering exactly right. baseball, covering football, you know, and, and it got to the point where she was getting, you know, great assignments. So I'm, I'm so proud of this story. So her senior year, Joe, she calls me as she's gotten back down to get ready for her senior year. And she goes, hey, dad, uh, I got a call from somebody at Fox Sports, and they want me to come in for a quick interview into Atlanta. I said, that's great. So she drove into, uh, from Athens into Atlanta. And I'm thinking, okay, they want her to, you know, uh, uh, maybe help uh, gather scores on a Saturday afternoon. Right. Or do some some <laughs> right. kind of small, you know, we've all done that, right? So, so I, uh, I, you know, she's going into her senior year. She's going to graduate a a semester early, uh, but she's 21 years old. And, and so, you know, she drives in there and I'm as a father worried about the drive, of course. And of course, and, and, and I, and I said, what are you going to wear? And, you know, so we, we talk a little bit as she's driving in and then I don't hear from her for about three hours. And I go, Oh my gosh, I wonder if something's wrong. So I text her and, and, and she goes, dad, I'm, I'm just leaving. I'll, I'll, I'll call you in a couple minutes. So she calls me and she gets out of this meeting with these people at Fox sports South. And I said, well, sweetie, how'd it go? She went, oh, it went great. And I said, good, good, good. So like, are, are they talking about maybe come in once a week or once a month and watch their operation and go, no, I'm not, they're going to use me, I think, every week. I said, well, that, that's unbelievable. That's, that's <laughs> terrific. And I said, uh, and what are they going to have you do? She said, well, I'm going to be on the sideline. And I said, oh, that's great. So like you can be with like, a, 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 like, like reporting on injuries like, and then calling them up to the booth and maybe pulling some, some cable and helping out the person that, that's going to be the sideline reporter goes, no, I am the sideline reporter. I said, what? I said, I said, for what? She goes, oh, for their SEC package. This is before the SEC had left Fox and gone to ESPN full time. So they wow. were doing like the fourth or fifth SEC game on Fox Sports South. And I go, Olivia, are you telling me that you're going to go and do an SEC game as a senior in college? Because yeah, I'm gonna be on the sideline. Well, you know, she to her the the world is her oyster, right? She I, I I can do anything. So so that and she was doing it. That led to the Atlanta Hawks hiring her before she had left college wow. to be on their sideline in the NBA beginning in November of her senior year. And then she graduates in December, early a semester early. And then she went right into doing the NBA and hosting an ACC show. And then after that year, she goes and joins ESPN and she's done all this stuff. So I told her, Joe, I said, I said, I would not recommend this business. 
It is tough. It's especially tough for women. Men are graded on how they report and how their voice sounds and, you know, how they deal with their analyst. You're going to be graded on all those things and how your hair looks, what kind of That's makeup exactly you have right. on. You know, what, do you have a bow in your hair? You know, how do you, you know, you're, you're going to be graded on a whole different plane and, and it's not nice. It's mean. You know, people can be mean on social media where they're hidden. And I said, I want you to be prepared for that. So we would talk about all those things. And with this Washington Post story coming out recently about uh, trouble that their reporters had had, sexism by the Redskins covering the NFL, all that right. stuff. Right. Um, you know, we, her and I talked about that. And I said, I said, you know, I know that you've had, you know, nothing severe, certainly, but she's had moments where because she was a woman and a young woman at that and, and a pretty girl that, that, that she has gotten you know, it, it's just been different. So, so um, uh, we, we've what? talked about all those things. We're working on delivery and, and presentation and, 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 you know, hints of a smile when she does deliver it and facts and being the, the a pros pro, being a great reporter. And, you know, and, and so anyway, it's, it, it, she's learning a lot. She loves the challenge. I love her desire to be, get better. And for a father, it, it's made me very, very proud. Well, as it should. I mean, you're right. I mean, this is, this is. We know. We know. This is an incredibly tough business, for for for. Well, it's a tough business. Period. Then it's a tougher business for women, and and uh, you know, we we know the that there's so much going on. She's she just carries herself. I mean, you could just the way she carries herself. She's a prodigy. I mean, she really is. It's it's. She's so good at this, and and I love. She she brings you know what she does and and I I'm not just saying this because uh, you're here um, but she brings your energy and enthusiasm to the job and and I there are so many things that make a great broadcaster just like there's so many things that I think make a great writer uh, a great artist but boy enthusiasm is really high on that list I, I just feel like I remember you know the first. Super Bowl I went to was in Arizona. It was Pittsburgh and Dallas. And, and I, I was there and I was working for a small paper in Augusta, Georgia at the time. Uh, I don't even know how I convinced them to let me go, but I went <laughs> and I was not, I was 20, I was probably your daughter's age. I was 26, 27, 25, somewhere in that range. And I went to the game and you know, the Super Bowl, as you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot better on television than it is like, you know, you're, you're surrounded by a million people and there's so it's very difficult to find new angles and new stories. And, and you know, there, there are the challenges that come with the job. But I remember I called uh, a friend of mine and uh, I, my friend said, Oh my God, you're at the Super Bowl. What is it like? And I started to say like, well, you know, I mean, logistically it's kind of tough it's you know there are a lot of people here and and it's difficult to get you know individual interviews and try to find your own storylines and i started to go down this road and i'll never forget this my friend said you know what i don't want to hear any of that i don't i mean i you're i want to hear how great it is i like i'm never going to get to go to a super bowl so i don't want to hear like about your individual problems i want to hear how awesome it is and I realized he was a hundred percent right. And, and I've never made that mistake again. And I think that's the enthusiasm you bring. And I think that's the enthusiasm Olivia brings to the job. I think that's what makes it so cool. Well, thank you, Joe. Let me ask you a quick question. When you went to that Super Bowl for the first time 
and you saw Peter King and you saw yeah. you know, all these, all these wonderful writers that you've read for so long. And, and back then, you know, newspapers were such a big deal. And oh, yeah. from the Dallas Morning News, from the Boston Globe and, you know, the Will McDonough's and all these, all these famous, great NFL writers. Um, I don't know if you were like me, but boy, sometimes I could not take my eyes off of, off of them. Like I, I, oh, I could yeah. not, I, I could not stop watching. What, what's he like? I mean, does he, does he sit there and ponder <laughs> over stories or does he just type it out and then goes to the bar or does he, you know, go and, or, and then I always would hear stories about him going out and getting big meals with their friends, their other writing friends or broadcasting friends. I thought, gosh, what a, I wonder if someday, I mean, like, and I, 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 I remember when I went to my first in 85, I wonder if someday I'll ever be, I was like 20, I was 24. I wonder if someday I'll be lucky enough to be on that level. And you, you, you think about those guys and what the, what they did and how younger writers look at you and probably younger broadcasters look at me, you know, the older you get, you, you know, they say, Oh, I've been reading you for years or I've been listening oh, yeah. to you for years ago. Wait a oh, minute. Yeah. Hold on here. <laughs> but, but, I, but I remember part of, part of the fun of going to those big events, final fours and, 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 and Super Bowls is seeing the other big time media people that are there and seeing what they're like. And sometimes you'd hear stories about people that you admire that uh, that's a, that, you hear a bad story and you go, oh, I don't, I, that's not how I pictured him or her at all. And sometimes you'd hear great stories and, oh, he's the nicer. She's the greatest. Yeah. What a hard worker. And they go, I'm so glad that's because that's how in my mind I picture that person. So I, I love those moments. I do too. I was totally starstruck. I, you know, I was, I was starstruck. I was lucky. I mean, you know, I, I, I got my first columnist job in Augusta, Georgia, at 24, which meant 51 weeks out of the year. I was, you know, it was nowhere. Uh, but one week out of the year was the masters. And, yes. and not only was I somewhere, I was this, I was the guy every major sports writer in the world was reading because as you say that was yes. pre-internet oh you know goodness. so right. so i was petrified and uh but i was starstruck and i remember uh i've told the story before but i remember jim murray uh was a huge huge hero of mine as as he was of basically everybody loved jim murray and jim murray went to a masters and i went up to him and i just wanted to tell him what a big fan i was and i babbled on for <laughs> what must have felt like hours to him. I, I just, I just went on and on about how much I loved him and admired him and how funny I thought he was and how I just wanted to be a columnist just like him and, and on and on and on. And he just kind of sat there, stood there and he had these big, huge Coke glasses yes, yes, and he, yes. and he, and he looked at me and he, and I finished and he put his hand uh, on my shoulder and he said, next time use fewer words. And, I, <laughs> I, I, and he kind of winked and, and I, I, I will hold on to that forever, you know, but that's, you're right. That's what it was like. It was, was, you know, you see all of these people that you, that you admire and, and then to get to know, I mean, like, you know, this, you can't be a better guy than Peter King. You just, oh, it, it's God. not possible. Isn't that the truth? right? It's not possible to be a better person than Peter King. He's just, he's just the greatest guy in the world. And, and so, you know, you, you, you've read him and you know about him and you, you know, the, the connections he has in the NFL and the, and the, the incredible work he has done through the years and, and how big he is and how popular he is. 
and then you you go to you know a lunch with him and you're just like this is the greatest guy this is exactly who i, I know, wanted him to be I know. you know and that's so gratifying to yes. meet somebody that in your mind's eye you figure boy i hope he's as nice as he is as good a writer as he is or a yes. broadcaster or whatever and when they turn out to be and, and listen, there are so many disappointments in this world about people that you build up and they disappoint you with, with whatever reason why. But when you do come across that person that's as good as you hoped, that's one of the great gifts of life, I think. Yeah. You know, that, that unexpected uh, good fortune when you, can, when you can meet someone that you hope they're as good as they seem um, and, and they are and you just go, boy, that... Thank goodness. It gives, it gives you faith in humanity, doesn't it? It really and then, does. And then you hear stories about people that you admire because of what they do on the air or writing-wise or whatever, and you find out, oh, they're just a jerk. They're just, yeah. they're just, they <laughs> That's not, not as much fun. Poor. They're mean, no. And then you go, oh, I'm so disappointed. I'm so, so heartbroken by that because I... I admire this person so much. I guess I'm gonna have to think maybe differently about him. I don't know. I, I <laughs> it's always tough. But it's I love your enthusiasm. I know that. That's one of the reasons why I think we're friends is because I think we have a love of the business. We love our families. We love our friends. We love the business of the business, and uh, and feel very lucky to be where we are every every event we cover. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Quickly, what are you looking for this this NBA season? We got this crazy nobody's played then we've got these few sort of you know regular season ish games play in games i don't even know what they're calling them exactly but just <laughs> just a handful of these of these play in games that are about to start in fact going to start we're recording this on wednesday this is these are going to start tomorrow you're you are broadcasting what games tomorrow I've got uh, Clippers Lakers. That's the first game we'll do, which is a pretty that's, good game. <laughs> that's a pretty good game. That's a pretty good game. So and and so everybody's going to come in, but of course everybody's got to be playoff ready because the playoffs are going to start in a couple of weeks, assuming everything goes well. What are you What are you sort of seeing? I mean, this is such a bizarre time. Uh, how good is the basketball going to be? Who Who are you looking at? Who are you excited? to sort of see how they're going to do? What, what, what are you looking at for the season? Well, it is so bizarre. Uh, but, you know, um, I, I think there's so many layers to this, Joe, in terms of how these players are approaching it. Certainly the environment is different. It's, there are no fans. There's not the same feel of a big crowd and a big roar. And they're all fighting to find what their comfort level is going to be in that. The league has tried electronically, artificially to – pump some of this in and what success they're going to have with that remains to be seen. But I know the players are, are you know, are, are going through some of these things and, and, and on top of that, they're dealing with the pandemic and not being with their families because they can't have any loved ones with them. Right. Um, they're also going through some things with social justice, you know, the black lives matter and, of course. and, and all the things that are so important to all of us. They, they should, if they're not, they should be but they're important to all of us. And if you're closely aligned with the NBA, um, it, it's important to the league. It's important to their owners. It's important to, so that's part of the discussion. So um, um, I, I've got a company at, at, at Turner Broadcasting, Warner Media, that, uh, that, you know, has got a lot of money on the line here. They're glad the season has restarted. Companies have lost money. So, so the tentacles of this story are vast and, and never ending. And I don't know if you can, in one broadcast, I don't even know in the stint down here, if you can really capture the essence of what each of these things means and the part and the role they play 
in the restart of the NBA. But I do think that for the veterans like the LeBron Jameses, the Kawhi Leonards, you know, these guys that are steely and have been MVPs of the finals in the past that know the ropes and know that, boy, we've got a short window here, a quick sprint, and we could be a champion. And I would think for them, these players, that that would be a lot of great motivation to, you know, stay disciplined in the bubble, uh, not not cause issues in that regard, uh, be true to your personal thoughts on on social justice and the message that you individually want to send, how you can be the best teammate for your team, and how you can take advantage of a very unique opportunity, a historic opportunity, to have so much accomplished in such a short amount of time. They've really gone through a complete offseason, in fact, a little bit more. So how are their bodies going to react? You know, how are coaches going to parse parcel out minutes. I mean, like there's so much here, you know, uh, we're going to hear from, from Chris Paul vocally controlling a game because it's a quieter setting and you're going to be able to hear coaches bark out calls and uh, come up with changes on the fly with their voice, which more times than not are drowned out when you're playing in a loud uh, maniacal arena. So like there's so much here to process that you really don't know how to and where to begin and how to navigate it. So I'm kind of letting it come naturally to me. You know, I've been doing the NBA since I was 21. Um, got the job when I was 21, actually started broadcasting when I was 22 in the NBA. So I have seen a lot and witnessed a lot. And, and there are so many like me. Mike Breen is like that. He's been in the league for forever. Sure. So, you know, um, I think we're just going to kind of let our personal experience guide us into this very unique setting, not come in with know know where all the skeletons are, know where all the turns are in the road, have a map certainly telling us, you know, what's going to happen, where we're going to go, but letting our, our emotions and our experience kind of be our guide through this, read the stories after the games, watch the player body language on the floor, get a feel for the pacing of the game. There's, there's so much here to take in that I don't know that, it would, that I'm smart saying, well, here's what I expect and here's what I think is going to happen. I, we're in a laboratory. There is no traveling for these teams. There is no home court advantage. Everybody is in the same boat. So that's going to produce, I think, some different kind of results. So I'm just going to let my, my mind and my experience that I've been blessed enough to have in this league kind of guide me into it and through it. Absolutely. There are a couple of stories I have to admit that I'm pretty fired up about. One you already mentioned, and it's the obvious one, but boy, LeBron James in a sprint like this, you know, and especially with, you know, with, with him being paired up with maybe, you know, I mean, obviously he's, he's, you know, that, that time in Miami when he was playing with Dwayne Wade, but when you're playing with Anthony Davis, uh, and he's found this rhythm with, with passing the ball. He's going to lead the NBA in assists. Uh, I just, I don't know. It feels to me like something very, he could do something very, very special over these next few weeks. It feels well, he's like. that kind of player, isn't he, Joe? And you've right. covered Kobe and you've covered Michael. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You've covered a lot of LeBron. I mean, these guys are wired differently. There have never been three players more alike than those three, Michael, Kobe, and LeBron. They are, they are wired the same way. Body's a little different style perhaps a little different but their impact on the game their ferocity and when when they see the prize 
I just think they come at you full force and there is no breaking. And I, I just, I think this is kind of made for a guy like it that. It does feel that and way. Doesn't it? It just, it just feels like he could take this thing by the throat and squeeze and, and, <laughs> and how hard will he squeeze will be the question. But, but I don't think, I think his, his he'll, he'll have the pedal to the metal. I, I, I don't think he's going to let up on, on these seeding games as they're calling these eight games, these seeding games or first round opponent. I don't think, I think he sees something and I think he sees an entree into a, a very unique part of history. If he already doesn't have it, uh, a very unique part of history, because this thing is going to be written about for years to come, this bubble, yeah. what they're yeah. doing, this experiment, this finish, uh, it will be talked about, analyzed and overanalyzed for years to come. But at the center of it could be LeBron James. And I think we all know the, the mantle that Michael's on. And Kobe, unfortunately, with his death, has probably put him on a completely different narrative now. And I think LeBron is seeing a narrative that can be very peculiar, very special, very particular to him. And I think he realizes that. He's a smart guy. Yeah, uh, all, all these guys are smart. They they get it. They know it. Uh, the, the, the thing is, how are they going to react to it and how quickly can they acclimate to it? Absolutely. Well, there are two others that, are, that feel like this to me. And obviously, it could be anybody. You mentioned the Clippers, and, and obviously, they could be a huge factor. But one is Milwaukee, who obviously had been, was playing the best basketball, you know, maybe in the NBA before this, although it's hard to tell with that whole crazy East-West uh, divide and all that. Uh, but obviously, Greek freak, what he could con conceivably do, because this is, again, the same thing, where this is an opportunity to enter, for him, to enter that stratosphere, right? I mean, obviously, we all know he's a great player. But now, short sprint, suddenly he could be in that world of carrying a team to a, to a title in a, in a very, very quick way, in the weirdest circumstances imaginable. I mean, that's – you go down in history doing that. And, and he's kind of an elder statesman on the team. See, LeBron is 30, what, mid-30s, 36, 37. This right. kid is still pretty young, seventh, yeah. sixth, seventh year in the league, and, and he is the unquestioned leader, but as kind of a younger player. And I do think he'll be named the MVP. The voting just was completed uh, within the last 24 hours, and it'll be announced here down the road. But – but I think he is the MVP. His numbers are historically good, comparable to Chamberlain and, and Elgin Baylor good. Yes. So, so he's like on a completely different plane than so many other players. Um, the question will be, um, will he have enough around him? You mentioned AD, Anthony Davis, for LeBron. There's no better pair of players on a team in the league. No. I mean, is, is Chris Middleton that guy? Is Eric Bledsoe that guy? We're just going to have to wait and see who's going to be that, that, that Robin to – to Anna DeCumbo as he leads and, and plays the role of Batman. They're going to need every bit of him and I think somebody else uh, to be what they want to be and to have that kind of impact on these, on these games. But there's nothing that would stop them. They're the best defense. It's not close. Uh, he's the best player. Aside from LeBron, it's not close. Um, they've got a coach that is dialed in and, and proven in Mike Budenholz. Uh, again, one of the candidates for coach of the year. Sure. So, but there are a lot of great stories from Ben Simmons in Philadelphia changing positions during this yes. during this four month process of being off and waiting, and 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 starting a twenty three year old point guard, and and um, 
will, will, will Jason Tatum with Boston, um, you know, in his third year, be the player that he's been so far this season, one of the best in the yes. NBA? Will Kemba Walker be that point guard that they need? I mean, you can go right on down the line and find great, compelling story after great, compelling story. And, and, and that's what I'm looking for. Every team has a story. Every, even, even the teams that are outside the playoffs looking in and trying to play their way in, they've got interesting stories right now. So that's what's going to make this, I think, very fun. Absolutely. One more. One more story I'm going to throw out at you because it's just, to me, look, it's, it's one of those stories that could completely fall apart or, or it could be this wild ride. And that's Houston and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And I mean, Harden's season is, it's insane. I mean, what he, it, it's, it's, they really are. And I don't know if I can say this, it's in a good way. I mean, Daryl Morey is a friend of mine. I don't know if it's a good thing, but they play basketball differently than anybody else in the league. It feels like, uh, what do you think? What do you, I mean, in this kind of run, what, what do you think about a, a, a sort of a, a crazy uh, up and down team like Houston? And they're all in. I mean, they're they're all into small ball, and that is going to be one of the great things that's going to come out of this. The small ball and three point shooting, uh, you know, does it work? Can it get you there? Yeah, right. And so they're going to figure that out. Those two guards are are as good a backcourt as the league has ever seen. Uh, they're both having sensational seasons. Uh, you know, twenty seven points for Westbrook, and he's <laughs> ever yet in a long time, and. And still, for a third consecutive year, Harden leads the league in scoring. So, I mean, yeah, Will Smallball, their tallest guy, is 6'8", and they got rid of Capella, and they thought that he'd be great in pick and rolls, but they found out that, you know, he, he, he was almost a luxury more than a, a necessary part. The deeper yeah. story for Houston is that their owner is in pretty significant financial problem. He's, a, he's basically a restaurateur. Uh, that's how he's made his money. And we know what restaurants have gone through over the last four months with the pandemic in this country. He's had to borrow money. Um, they have, there's, there's been talk that they have skimped on after going more roster fortifying type players that they couldn't afford it. So there's a, there's a lot at play here with this team and, and some marquee players, but they are all in on small ball. And Daryl Morey is one of the most brilliant minds in pro Wonderful. basketball. Wonderful. And a great guy. You and I know him. Um, and, and I'm anxious to see if the, on paper, it looks like it should, but, but they're only right now in the middle of the pack in the Western conference. I know it took, it took some time for them to kind of get a feel for how this was going to work with, with basically players six, eight and under no team is like that. And what will they do against big players? What will they do against tall front lines? How are they going to survive or vice versa? How are these tall teams going to be able to keep up with these Maseratis and chase them all over and these these uh, circus-like moves of of Harden and the, the force and the torque of Westbrook. I mean, there's so much at play here. Um, so many careers are on the line. So many storylines are out there dangling and waiting to be finished. Um, it makes it fascinating. It's going to be fascinating. It really is going to be fascinating. All right. Give us your schedule. So, so you are you're, you're going to be calling uh, games uh, for Turner for the next three weeks. Is that right? I'm doing three weeks, get us through the, uh, these, these seeding games, these regular season finishers. Then I've got two weeks off. Then okay. I come back for the second round, and I leave the second round here and go right to the start of the NFL season. What wow. was going to happen, they had offered the Western Conference 
finals because our, our lead announcer, Marv Albert, is not coming down. Age and the, and the pandemic, a, For a sure. significant concern, which makes sense. So I was going to take his seat and do the conference finals. But there's no back and forth. Once you're in the bubble, you stay in the bubble. You cannot come and go every couple days. And so my other employer, CBS, uh, said, you're not missing games. And yeah. their season is in its natural calendar. And the NBA is in a very unnatural setting for them, unnatural calendar. So um, I, I will miss the Western Conference Finals, but uh, we'll, we'll join my NFL folks at CBS for week one, should the NFL get off in time, and, um, and we'll enjoy these, these uh, playoff games beyond my second round uh, as much as anybody. Of course, of course. Kevin, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for, for joining. This has uh, been absolutely a joy. Joe, it's, it's uh, you know, when we had lunch uh, a couple years ago and, and we talked about our families and talked about our careers and talked about how lucky we were to be in the positions uh, we're in, you know, um, what you find the longer you're in the business is there are so few people that are aligned like that, uh, think exactly the way you do, have the appreciation for home and family and marriage and business and profession um, that I have found in you. And um, you, you think when you're younger that you're going to run into all kinds of people like that. I'm going to find all kinds of people just like me. And that's not the case. And, and by the grace of God, you, uh, you came across my path as an admirer, reading you for all those years and, and uh, watching you in interviews. Uh, I always thought that we would, we would uh, be friends. And sure enough, uh, we've become friends over these years. And I appreciate that friendship so much. So thank you for having me on again. Uh, with you to visit about, a, you were right, a wide range of topics. <laughs> but what a treat for me to be on with you. And, and I'll continue to read every word you write and will enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed your past work. As, as I will do for, uh, for, for some broadcasting. Kevin, thank you so much. Take care, Joe. Thank you.